Hello, America. You have found your Leo Nation. Leo, as in law enforcement officer, it is your Leo Nation because the responsibility of the laws that we live by is everyone's responsibility who loves a law-abiding nation. We are a nation of laws, not a nation of men or women. And I am your host, Mark Garrett, retired California Highway Patrol chief. One of those men and women that enforces those laws that ensure a civil society for all of us is on with us today. I am very excited. I'm very grateful, not just for today, but I'm grateful to God that I met this gentleman about 40 years ago with whom I've become best friends. It's a soulmate. It's a, definitely a man love. And he also happens to be a Los Angeles police officer. And uh, he's laughing at me already because he knows how silly I can be. And he is the same. But I want to introduce to you Christian Marcelo Aru, known to me as Marcelo or Chell at work. I think he goes by Christian. But a great man, my best friend in the world. And just very excited to have you on, Chell. Well, thanks, Mark. What a heck of introduction. After 20 years of law enforcement and knowing you for almost 40, I'm ready for retirement. Um, it's been a ride, I'll tell you that. Ups and downs, uh, a lot of disappointments, especially nowadays, just with our leadership, and uh, it's unfortunate. But I'll tell you, man, there, in as being chief of self division or retired chief, there's some great men and women out there that still believe in the cause, still believe in, in law and order. And really, all they really want is to do their job and to, to be supported. That's what it really comes down to. But I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be with you guys. And I'm hoping that people get uh, a little insight of how we feel as law enforcement officers, because I think that's incredibly important. Well, I agree with you, Marcelo, about, in general, leadership in law enforcement. You and I talk all the time about this, and I said, I did 30 years California Highway Patrol, and you're in your 21st year with LAPD, you're starting. And so we've seen a lot of change over the years. I think that just because someone wears stars or bars does not make them a leader. And we've seen a lot of people succumb to political correctness, to political pressure, and forgetting that all of us who are or were in law enforcement were sworn to uphold the constitution of the state that we serve. And that oath is something that you and I take very seriously. And there's a reason that we take an oath. It's because uh, those things are not easy to uphold and to follow through on. It's just like a marriage oath. We all have our challenges, but those things hold us to our commitment. So I want to go back a little bit and talk about uh, really how we met briefly and how our similar but certainly different paths crossed the law enforcement. And I'll touch on that. I'll let you take a little bit. But Marcel and I met, again, almost 40 years ago through athletics. We both were racing bicycles, and we both ended up being uh, U.S. national team members. We ended up each right. being national champions. And Marcelo, who was very humble about this, I always have to tell people why I introduce him because he's never said it voluntarily. Uh, Marcelo went on to be a 2000 Olympian in Sydney, Australia, representing America. I'm very just proud to have known him for that. So with that, let me turn that back over to you, Marcelo, about how we first met. Well, it was, I remember like it was yesterday, 19, 1985. We knew each other a little bit before that. 
But Mark and I really became friends in 85, and he had gone through a really terrible crash. I had broken my collarbone at the U.S. Nationals. At that time, junior Nats and senior Nationals were together. So Mark was racing at the time at senior Nationals, and I was defending national champion in the junior category. Took a terrible fall, broke my collarbone, and I always say God God does things for a reason. That evening, we're in the lobby, and Mark and I just hit it off. We started talking about life and just cycling, and fast forward a few years later, we're on the national team together. I, As an athlete, I only ask for one thing, and I always told the coaches, I don't want anything. Just make sure that Mark and I room together. That was the only, that was my only request. And I was lucky enough to, to have Mark as my roommate because there was a lot of stuff, even though we were competitors. A lot of people don't know that, that Mark and I, we race an individual sport. Sprints is an individual sport, yet he'd be the only one I would ever talk to during competition or before competition. I always made it a rule. I didn't talk to my competitors. I never did. But there was a special bond between you and I. And we roomed together. We bounced stuff off together. And I only hope that we didn't meet each other in the qualifying rounds. And <laughs> if it was in the finals, I was I was happy. I was happy. Just like we did in Trinidad. Or was it Barbados? It was Bar- we were in? Barbados. Barbados, yeah. yeah. For, for the Texaco games, yeah. you and I met in the finals. You swept me. I, I lost. I remember that, but that was my thrill is if I can get into the finals with my best friend, you're the only guy that, even though I hated losing and I didn't like to lose to anybody, it always gave me a certain satisfaction if it was you. So now flash forward to law enforcement and and having family and being married and having our own kids, being godson to your son and enjoying life as we know it at you're a private citizen now but i hope soon to be and hey i'm blessed man what can i say i i have a blessed life and i believe that something like this podcast is just it's going to open a lot of other people's minds and that's what i'm hoping just to see the the human side of a law enforcement officer one with experiences with disappointments with surprises one that uh, there's very few people I know that can say they have a, a best friend for the last 40 years. And so happy to be here. And, and I'm happy that, that we're able to do this together. Well, you know what? You, you put things in a nutshell, a uh, short period of time, summed it up, Marcelo. And we have been the, the toughest of competitors and the best of friends. But, you know, that what was it, 37 years ago in that hotel lobby in Indianapolis, you're talking about. It was a time that we really started to bond. That bond just grown and has taken us to where we are now in our lives. But that bond was just based on superficial stuff. I think what we learned over the years, so that bond is really based on general life principles, things that we hold dear. And how we got into law enforcement, respectively, we could talk about another time, but we both ended up in law enforcement, actually working together two different agencies over the years because we were in the same city together, which is fantastic. But those values mm-hmm. that brought us together almost four decades ago really have taken us through all our respective law enforcement careers. 
And really for you, Marcelo, it's allowed you to do great things because you are a principled person. It's kept you on the track of where you wanted to be and has garnered a ton of respect from your colleagues at LAPD. Speaking of LAPD, I said Marcelo is very humble, very funny, but very humble. And, <laughs> but, you know, Marcelo, I'm going to have you talk about this. He's part of the Los Angeles PD Metropolitan Division. And I know some of you mm-hmm. listening out there are very familiar with Metro, as it's known much shorter than LAPD Metropolitan Division, but it is an elite unit. And Marcelo, I would love for you to talk about Metro and historically what Metro has meant to LAPD, really what its purpose is. Hope you're candid about what you feel's purpose is and what you've done sure. in Metro and where, where Metro is now. Yeah, so Metro is, I don't like to be, I don't, I'm not an arrogant person, but Metro really is the top of the elite of officers in the department. Within Metropolitan Division, we have uh, SWAT, we have our canine, our mounted unit. So we're generally, we're a tactical unit and we're the only tactical unit that the Los Angeles Police Department has. So for us, when there is civil unrest, Unfortunately for us, that is our bread and butter. That, that is what we train day in and day out to do. There is nobody in the department, nobody that trains more than Metropolitan Division, our officers. We do hours and hours of shooting. We don't do target shooting. We shoot for real life situations. We're pushed to the limits during our training. And that's the one thing that I enjoy about Metropolitan Division. Is it is so different from the rest of the department because we actually think of scenarios that challenge every officer, not only challenge them physically and mentally, but and then to articulate what you did is extremely important. And we try to implement that into our training. So once you finish your scenario, then you would go over to a supervisor and you would explain of what you did and why you did it and if you knew what policy was. And so that's really important. And I'll tell you what, we all fail. We all fail at one point or another. We say something that isn't part of policy or we did something that we thought was part of policy and it wasn't. But that is so important, Mark. It is so important because it's training and this is where you should fail. So you may fail at it, But if you fail forward and you learn from it, then you just became that better of an officer. In in Metro, we have a saying that earn your reputation every day. That's the saying. Earn your reputation every day. So you can't live on your past accomplishments or your past reputation. You earn that every day. And so back with Chief Parker during the assassination of, I forget, Robert F. Kennedy. Thank you. During the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy, Chief Parker then said, the, the Los Angeles will never lose another dignitary again, thus creating Metropolitan Division. And I'm proud to say that since then, Metro has never lost a dignitary. And it, it is our, we do everything from crowd control to a mobile field force to dignitary protection uh, to officer rescues, you name it. And we have an entity for it. We have a dive team unit that constantly is training. I'm just so proud to have, to be part of Metro 
It's one of the very, very few. It's actually, let me rephrase it. It's actually the only division where you have to do a physical fitness qualification to even get to the interview process. And so that, and we just had 220 candidates try out for Metro. There are 30 spots available. Out of the 220, in the first two days, we lost close to 60 officers just from the physical fitness. Marcel, if I can stop you there, because yeah. you are hitting on something that I, I think is, on one hand, so important. It is so clarifying about why Metro is successful. And at the same time, it unfortunately illuminates really what I think is a cancer, not only in law enforcement, but in a lot of different professions and walks of life in our society now. And what's made Metro successful, in my humble opinion, is the adherence to standards. That Metro is unrelenting when it comes to standards. Standards may not be perfect all the time. They may be able to be modified here and there as time goes on. But there's a focus on the blind screening of people in the process of adhering to standards. That physical that you talked about is, is a great illustration of this. And often we see professions, we see entities start to fail when they start to give in to political pressures and, and other types of pressures that deteriorate their adherence to standards. I'm a big believer in this for many years, and I'm so proud of LAPD in, when it comes to Metro that they haven't, they have not deteriorated in that sense. So with that, I just wanted to chime in. It's really powerful. So go ahead. Yeah. So when I came through Metropolitan, it was a three mile run. And it was for someone like me, who is not a natural runner, I had to put work into it. And, but you know what? It, it is something that anyone can accomplish. You know, if you put your, if you put the time and effort into this, you will pass our PFQ. The problem is that there are people, unfortunately, in our department that don't put in the time and then want to make comments like, oh, I had a better chance of making the Navy SEALs than Metropolitan Division. Mm-hmm which is a ridiculous statement. It, I know the Navy SEALs and I've read through their manual and the things that they have to do. Believe me, it is not a mile and a half run in 13 minutes and 30 seconds. We have to do push-ups and sit-ups and the push-ups is 40 push-ups and 50 sit-ups. And then all you have to do is attempt a pull-up. And that's our PFQ. But nevertheless, we have 60 officers that didn't go through and didn't pass. And, and to me, I don't make, I don't make excuses for these officers. But not, maybe it's, it's our, our, our athletic background, Mark. When you don't put in the time and you don't put in the effort, then there's no reason that you should get it. And so I commend the officers that did make it. And now they, they move on to the interview process. But then, then once you make the outstanding pool in the interview, your background starts. Once you get past that, then it's a month of basic metro school. And that's tough. It's early mornings. It's all day. You're shooting all your weapon systems from your handgun to your HK rifle to your Benelli shotgun. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people, 
Well, you know what? I should rephrase that. I don't think there's anyone aside from Metropolitan that actually uses semi-auto shotguns. And it was a challenge for me, but this is the process to get into Metropolitan Division. And I'm just, I hope that, like you said, I hope our standards don't change because you have to keep those high standards to get quality people. I, I believe in that. So Marcel, can you tell me over the time you've been in Metro, I guess about seven years now, it's hard to believe. Can you tell me how you've seen it evolve and what you think of its direction now? You mean Metro itself? Yeah. Or the department? Well, you know what? You take it. You can tell me the best we think of. Well, Metro itself, from my experience, we are a lot more policy conscious if you will, Metro was the last division to actually acquire cameras. And so because we worked throughout the city, that was, that's been a difficult uh, transition for us because sometimes we don't even meet at Metro. We'll, we'll meet in 77th division or Southwest or Topanga division. And so bringing the cameras to us has always been a challenge, but as a whole, I, I think this is something that is, is so important to not just us as law enforcement officers, but to the community. Um, unfortunately, we have people in our organization that are, are just, and I don't want to use the word inadequate or, or inept, because they know what to do. Um, unfortunately, in my opinion, they don't have the courage to do it. They don't have the courage to stand up to the city council and go, what you're doing is hurting my office group. So like I was saying, Mark, Metropolitan has evolved specifically. We, we touch a lot more on policy now. We touch a lot more on procedure. So even though our tactics don't change, we want to make sure that our officers can articulate policy, that, our, that can articulate what they're doing out in the field. And and I think that's tremendously important, even though their heart's in the right place and they know what they're doing is right. When it comes to articulation, I think we get into a bit of a, a, a conflict there. Now you asked me department as a whole, I'll be honest, Mark, if the chief of police had no confidence in your position, he has the authority to remove you from that position. But yet, when the chief of police has a 96%, let me repeat that, 96% vote of no confidence, and yet he is still chief, we have a problem. We have a huge issue here. 96% of the department doesn't believe in your leadership, and yet you are still chief. If we, Listen, if the city council who are bringing up these ridiculous policies, and, and I'll explain one to you that just came out. So we all know that having expired registration is against the law. Mm-hmm. If you look at the vehicle code, which is 4000A1 of the vehicle code, it is against the law. Well, now the city council is saying that a Los Angeles police officer can't solely stop you on registration violation. There has to be a public safety issue with that stop. And it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Hmm. And you know what? 
the chief of police just goes along with it. Here's the problem, Mark. If the chief of police said, hey, you know what? We have to abide by this rule. But as chief, let me tell you how detrimental it is to the community and how I don't agree with it. I think officers would be at the very least satisfied that the chief of police stood up for something. But when the chief of police stands up and says nothing and kneels with an organization like Black Lives Matter, that is a slap in the face to every law enforcement officer out there. When you stand with an organization that promote the killing of police officers and you kneel with them, that is submitting to them. And then you wonder why he has a 96% vote and no confidence. Well, Mar- and, and this is our greatest issue, Mark. Marcel, I'm going to chime in because I was, I was the chief here in Southern Division for the Higher Patrol in summer of 2020. And it was my third riot that I had been through. One as a child growing <laughs> up in Watts. And two as a California Higher Patrol officer. One as an officer and the final one as a chief. And Listen, uh, Chief Moore and I had a good working relationship, and we still get along today. We talk uh, occasionally and see each other at functions and get along very well. But I, I certainly agree with you. Our commissioner of the Ohio Patrol, Warren Stanley, to his fantastic credit, he didn't do that. He was pressured into kneeling with Black Lives Matter, and he said, I only le- kneel at my father's grave. And I'll tell you right now, and Warren Stanley and I are good friends. We have our differences on policies and things like that. But that was one of the biggest morale boosters for the California Ohio Patrol win in Sacramento at the state's capital. that he told Black Lives Matter, I'm not doing that. There's no way it's going to happen. And you know what happened as far as Black Lives Matter is concerned? Not a damn thing. Nothing. Like every other bully, yeah. like every other dog chasing on the street, as soon as you turn and stood up to him, Nothing. They evaporated as far as California Highway Patrol is concerned. Warren Stanley showed great leadership with that, and it's something I always admire him for. And again, no one's perfect. I'm not perfect, and Warren and I, we have our differences, had our differences. I was a two-star. He is a five-star, my boss. But I'll tell you right now, that was a lot right. of respect there. So I feel for you. I know that Mike Moore was in a, a, a tough uh, political position that day, but it's what leadership is made of, and it, it speaks for itself. Speaking about that, going back before uh, the summer of 2020 uh, with the whole Michigan incident and Derek Chauvin and that disgrace as far as I'm concerned, as far as law enforcement officers, right? no matter about the other side of the story. Yeah, we, you and I have mm-hmm. talked about it, and he was a disgrace. I'll tell you right now. I'll tell you right now, for those leaders in law enforcement, I said this as soon as I learned about his service record. Derek Chauvin. Absolutely. I said, the city is not going to write that family, George Floyd's family, a check for the in-custody death. They're going to write a check (laughs) because of the negligent retention of that officer. He should have been fired five times over from what I could, what I read about his service record. This was a failure of that law enforcement agency long before that publicized that horrific event that we all saw and cringed at as law enforcement professionals. That liability occurred 
years and years before and over and over. And that's exactly why that family got the tens of millions of dollars by, quite frankly, they deserved because that officer should have been fired and by the way, maybe prosecuted before this event ever happened. But going back before that, back to, I think, 2014 with Ferguson, Missouri, there's a phenomenon that we've talked about, and it's, it's called the Ferguson effect. When you look at when you look at the relations, the nationwide polls that were taken years, 10, 15 years before the Ferguson incident, you look at relations between blacks and whites, these polls, and they all hover around about 70% as favorable or very good relations when you average out the polls between blacks and whites in this country. And within a few months after Ferguson, those polls had dipped to around 50%. And here's the sad, sad thing. I want you to talk about this and maybe how it's affected you as an officer and your colleagues, LAPD, because I can talk about it with IA Patrol, but I have you as a guest today. When you realize, when you realize that the negative effect that Ferguson, Missouri, and that incident had on relations between not just law enforcement, and the communities that law enforcement serves around this country, but about the specific relationships between blacks and whites in this country, it was all based on a lie. It was all based on this officer's use of force, that it was inappropriate, that it was illegal, that it was, again, it was out of policy. And none of those things were true. And listen, even a black attorney general at the time declined to file any federal charges against him because there was nothing done wrong. He was really the victim of an assault and he defended himself. And of course, this guy's life was ruined. He lost his job, but did nothing wrong, out of policy, illegal. But the effect that a lie had on almost every single person in this country, not to mention the men and women of law enforcement that go out there every single day and do the right thing like that officer did in Ferguson all those years ago, is really abhorrent. It's really a sad, despicable, pathetic reality that relations have deteriorated amongst the races, that relationships between law enforcement officers and the public they serve have deteriorated based on something that was a lie, that this officer was a predator, he used excessive force, that the suspect in this case did nothing to provoke any type of enforcement action. I want to get your take on, on, on those times going back about eight or nine years and what you've seen as far as relationships with minority communities, if it's had an effect on you as a particular a specific <clears throat> officer or the department in general. Well, and that's a great question. And unfortunately, I've seen both sides. I've seen when I first started the department over 20 years ago just how we were building these relationships. Now, 20 years ago, we didn't have cameras, but we had a sense of respect for each other. And I think that's what it comes down to. They knew that I had a job to do and they knew that I would do it fairly. Gordon Graham, who is a risk management expert, said, and and I don't know, and and it kills me because I don't know why departments don't abide by this. He said, Bad probationer officers, so rookie cops, don't get better. They actually get worse. You should, as a department, you should cut your losses early and avoid litigation and financial ruin. And 
that is, and I know you have stories about young coppers doing stupid stuff or rookie officers who are not off their probationary period that are just not equipped for the job. And when we keep these officers, you have to expect something that happened in like Minnesota or the Rafael Perez scandal. You have to expect these things because you know what? The badge doesn't give you integrity. You either have that before you start the job or you don't. Your character, Mark, has been the same character when I met you when you were 25 years old and now that you're 56. 50, it's actually closer 57. to 100 years old, but thank you. But go ahead. <laughs> but that's your character. And, and you know what, Mark? That comes from family. That comes from your mother and your father that instilled these values in you. It's not the badge that gave you integrity. It's not the badge that gave you character. It was the people inside the house. those That father that, you know, spanked you when you needed to be spanked, disciplined you, but also gave you a hug and was proud of you when it was necessary. That's where we get that from. So Ferguson was a disaster. It was a disaster. And I blame the liberal media for it. That's who I blame. You lied and you falsified this story in order to create a racial war. And how people aren't held accountable for this, Mark, is just, it's surprising to me. It's surprising that you would, you ruined a man's life for no reason. Absolutely no reason. He did nothing wrong but defend himself. He was within policy. He did his job. Michael Brown passed away, but Michael Brown passed away because of his actions, not because of the officer's actions. If Michael Brown would have complied, Michael Brown would probably be alive today. This goes even back to the the, the young kid with the skills, and I forget his name. It, he the guy was a security guard. You remember the story? It was I'm drawing a blank too. Gosh, now I, I rem- he he was a security guard. He followed the kid. The police told him stop following. Oh yes, yes, yes. Stop- yeah, go go ahead. I know the story. I'm forgetting the names, but yeah. yes, I know. Right, and, right. Yeah, I'm forgetting the name too, yes. and I apologize because that was also yeah uh, very important. Mm-hmm. Now, and I forget the gentleman's name that shot this young this young black kid and. That man should have gone to jail. Right. Because right. I know in Florida, they, they have a, a stand your ground law, which is, I'm for it. But that wasn't it. Right. You actually followed this kid because you thought he committed a crime. Well, and Marcel, I want to It, it shows in. that he. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, go ahead. You're 100% right. And this, that's, you're making a, a great point here. And you and I agree. I think most people agree, whether you're law enforcement or not, that when we see, when we actually do see violations of law, violations of policy that, that we're aware of, obviously sometimes we may not know because it's not our, our particular agency, but certainly we can see violations of law. We're the first people in law enforcement, formerly in law enforcement myself, to call it out because it's like the parent who wants to make sure their child is doing the right thing. That's what discipline's about. We don't want our agency, we certainly don't want our profession to fall into the hands of a couple of bad apples, a handful of bad apples across the country that make our job more difficult to perform 
in the effort to serve the communities across this country. So it's just like Derek Chauvin, as far as I know, in my own circle, I was the first person to stand up and say, this guy should have been fired years ago. So, but you're absolutely right about the media. We know exactly what they did. The old saying is never let a crisis go to waste. And this is exactly what the liberal media has done, not only with the Ferguson, Missouri incident, but we see it over and over again. So you touched on something a minute ago, Marcelo, about values and coming from family. And you have an absolutely wonderful family. If the world must know, and they should know that your wife you have is way too good for you. I agree. Oh, yeah. (laughs) By the way, she told me that many times. And uh, of course, I was dear friends with your father, God rest his soul, passed away just about a year and a half ago. And and as a mentor of mine. But as we wind this up today, I'd like for you to talk, uh, speak on a little bit about the personal side of your life, if you don't mind, and really about really the the apple of your eye, uh, Isabella, your wonderful daughter. And, and I want people to realize that when you leave the mean streets of Los Angeles, and they are mean streets, especially today, and you go back home, there's someone, there's some people there waiting for you, but I want you to talk about the special relationship you have with Bella and about her story real quick as we wind things up here. And, and I'm just very excited to hear you talk about that. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. Yeah. So Bella has an adventure story. She's only uh, 20 years old. So Bella was born a micro preemie, not just a preemie, but a micro preemie. Anyone that's born under two pounds is considered a micropremie. And so Bella was born at a pound seven ounces. She was 12 inches long, came out breathing with her eyes open. Aside from the doctor, I was the first to see her. And I was just overwhelmed with emotion. Lisa ended up getting this. There's an acronym for it. It's called HELP. And I, I don't quite remember the, the acronym for it, but it, it's basically when your body turns on you and it starts to shut everything off. Your liver, your liver starts to shut off. Your kidneys start to fail. And so at 26 weeks, the doctor said, Hey, listen, either I take the baby out and we may lose the baby or we lose them both. And I had no other choice, but to say, well, you got to take the baby out. So you can, you, you see how grateful I was when Bella came out breeding. Unfortunately, in the NICU for her, back then, they used pure oxygen. And it was the oxygen, because she can breathe on her own, the problem was, is that she was losing weight, just breathing. And it was dangerous. She had no body fat whatsoever. And so they put her, they incubated her with pure oxygen, which then gave her a bleed, gave her a bleed in the brain her left side, which affected her right side and her legs. So unfortunately, Bella's in a wheelchair, but just the way she wakes up in the morning and the way she's ready to tackle life and her enthusiasm truly makes me a a better man. I don't complain a whole lot anymore because I see her and I realize if she can go through life in a wheelchair, I've got nothing to complain about. And so we fast forward, we fast forward to Lisa and doing something extraordinary for her daughter and everything that she has to juggle. She adds 
what I thought was just a mountain to our lives and decides to open a school for kids with special needs, not just for Bell, but for other kids that have all sorts of conditions. And I just thought, honestly, man, I thought she was nuts. I really did. I thought she, you have no idea. I don't have an idea what we're doing. But September 8th, 20, 2021, we opened the doors to Agape Village, 13 students, all with some sort of condition or special needs. Two amazing teachers. We're in a 2,600 square foot lot and we're just chugging along, man. And I just, I can't be more blessed than <clears throat> to have my wife, <clears throat> sorry, to have my wife and Bella because <sighs> it's uh, the day that I retire. Those are the two people that I want at my side, aside from obviously you and Michelle and, and Dylan. And I just, it just, it's an amazing, it's been an amazing journey, Mark. It's been, I'm blessed to, to have it. I'm blessed to have a 20 year career, even through the ups and downs. I ask God and my hope is that this nation turns around, this state turns around. And we just need leaders that are willing to make the difficult decisions and stand by them. And until we have that, Mark, unfortunately, we're going to have a lot more of the same. Well, Marcelo, it's, I know the story. I was there later that day when Bella was born. Mm -hmm. and, and I think everybody here hears the emotion in your voice and the pride in your voice about your lovely daughter. What Lisa, your lovely wife, has done with Agape Village is amazing. I can't wait to get there to the graduation coming up real soon. Yeah. My wife, Michelle and Dylan, we're all looking forward to that. It's an amazing undertaking. And an example, the creation of the village by you and Lisa is an example of your Leo nation. Because our laws don't start the day that the officer leaves roll call and goes out and pulls somebody over and makes an arrest. Your Leo nation it starts with our children. It starts with teaching them the importance Absolutely. of principles, the meaning of principles, the meaning of values, the meaning, the importance of being part of a civil society. That's where law enforcement starts. It starts in the home. It does not start on the street. And that's exactly what you guys are doing. You are building a civil society you are building a law enforcement society what's most important it's self law enforcement it's self-discipline that's what you are teaching to your daughter and to the children that she goes to school with and so i'm so proud of you and you know, michelle and i are trying to uh, play a second fiddle back here and do the same thing with, with dylan he knows that's that awesome. every day our yep. son so i'm very excited for what you guys are doing I'm very excited to have you on your Leo Nation. For everybody listening, uh, it's people like Christian Marcelo Rue, my best friend in the world, that make this country a better place to live. And like he said, we all have to fight. For those of you in uniform, for those of you who have young children that want them to grow up as good, productive members of society, for those of you who wait every night for your loved one to come home from patrol, be a part of this program. Share this program. I'm going to ask one more thing. Make sure you go to yourleoproject.org. That's yourleoproject.org. That is the nonprofit uh, arm of Your Leo Nation. And donate whatever you can 
the board members uh, of whom I'm one. Uh, we take no salary for this. We're doing our best to support the families of fallen injured law enforcement officers. So please go to yourleoproject.org, give whatever you can, download this uh, podcast, share it with all your friends, share it with all of your America-loving friends and family. God bless you, Marcelo. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to another 40 years of friendship, and I'll be 140, and you'll still be 29. <laughs> so thanks a lot, buddy. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. You're awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's our pleasure. God bless you.